This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making tonight's program possible. Tonight's special guest is Sophia Stewart, the mother of the Matrix, as she's affectionately known. She wrote her epic, The Third Eye, while she was studying cinema at the University of Southern California. This ingenious work, copyrighted since 1981, is a foundation and contains the core elements of the blockbuster films The Terminator and The Matrix. We'll discuss her story and her unique perspective of her past, present, and future. More than science fiction, Sophia Stewart writes about our future, like Alfred Hitchcock, Leonardo da Vinci, Spike Lee, and many others. Sophia Stewart plays herself into the story as the Oracle. Sophia Stewart will be with us shortly. To listen to the full interview, which is almost three hours long, go to our website, veritasradio.com, and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately, and will have access to everything we have to offer. Remember, Veritas is censorship and commercial-free, and survives on your voluntary subscriptions only. If you like what you hear, become a member today. And don't forget to visit our Veritas store, where you can find MMS, our 8GB USB drives with every season, and much more. And remember, I will be attending a few conferences in the next few weeks. Visit the website for more details. 
And to get in touch with me, it's very simple. Click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. According to Sophia Stewart, in 1999, after seeing the movie The Matrix, she filed a copyright lawsuit against the Wachowski brothers, Joel Silver and Warner Brothers. She was shocked to learn that the movie was based on her original manuscript entitled The Third Eye, which has a copyright dating back to 1981. The FBI also found during the course of her investigation that her copyright script was passed to James Cameron over at Columbia Pictures, and he infringed it as well for his movie The Terminator. According to court documentation, an FBI investigation discovered that more than 30 minutes had been edited from the original Matrix film in an attempt to avoid penalties for copyright infringement. The investigation also stated that credible witnesses employed at Warner Brothers came forward, claiming that the executives and lawyers had full knowledge that the work in question did not belong to the Wachowski brothers. These witnesses claimed to have seen Stewart's original work and that it had been often used during preparation of the motion pictures. The defendants tried on several locations to have Stewart's case dismissed without success. Ms. Stewart is currently continuing her epic work in the upcoming Matrix 4 movie, which is destined to supersede the extraordinary success of The Matrix and The Terminator and establish her as one of the most profound master writers of the 21st century. And to discuss more of this saga and her visions of the future, Sophia Stewart is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Barrett, and you are listening to the Very Test Radio Show. Child prodigy, prolific writer, poet, and creative genius are just a few of the terms used to describe Sophia Stewart. Stewart received a Bachelor of Arts degree in journalism and minors in law and psychology from the City University of New York. 
1979, her love and skills for writing motivated her to move from New York to Los Angeles, where she studied cinema at the University of Southern California. It was there she had the opportunity to study film under the auspices of producer Leon Roth, father of Eric Roth, screenwriter of the movie Forrest Gump. Mother of the Matrix, as she is affectionately known, wrote the epic The Third Eye while she was studying cinema at the University of Southern California. This ingenious work, copyrighted since 1981, is the foundation and contains the core elements of the blockbuster films. Stewart's brilliance lies in her ability to create characters, stories, and cinematic magic. In The Third Eye, she has transformed comprehensive metaphysical and spiritual concepts into the most revered science fiction films of the 20th century. The Terminator and The Matrix films are among the most artistically phenomenal and financially profitable film franchises franchises in Hollywood's history. These works have currently grossed over $25 billion, won four Oscars, and continue to generate revenue internationally. She's currently continuing her epic work in the upcoming Matrix 4 movie, which is destined to supersede the extraordinary success of The Matrix and The Terminator and establish her as one of the most profound master writers of the 21st century. And to learn more about Sophia Stewart and purchase The Third Eye, visit her website at truthaboutmatrix.com. And directly from Las Vegas, Nevada, I would like to welcome Miss Sophia Stewart to Veritas. Hello, Miss Stewart. Welcome. How are you? Yes, hi. I'm doing good, doing well. Well, it's an honor to have you on. A few weeks ago, I had a good friend who uh, called me and said, you need to have the mother of the Matrix on your show. And we talked for hours a few days ago. And, and I have to tell you, I'm sorry I didn't record that because that could have been a great bonus to tonight's interview. So I'm glad to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. As I was telling you offline, I like to start, first of all, from childhood. Where did you grow up? Yeah, I know you were, you were a genius from, from a, a, very, a very young age. Take us from there and then we'll progress to your prolific writing. I grew up in uh, New York City, and, I, and I've always had that gift, the same way that uh, Tiger Woods had the gift for playing uh, golf, or Venus and Serena for tennis, or Barbara Streisand for singing, or uh, you know, or or you know, any of the the other singers, you know, the late Michael Jackson. It, it's a definite gift, or Michael Jordan and basketball. It's just a gift. I have this extraordinary gift in writing, and my teachers, um, they discovered that gift, you know, because I had a lot of very famous and very wealthy uh, teachers who were already um, very phenomenally known, such as Max Siegel, former journalist with the New York Times, Emil Capudia, author, essay critic, uh, Leon Roth that you just mentioned, whose father, he's, who's the father of Eric Roth, the screenwriter who did uh, Benjamin Buttons and Forrest Gump. So these very famous teachers, you know, discovered my gift, and you know they saw that I had a gift that was extraordinary. So my first writing piece, The Third Eye, was not written as a book but film work because I was at USC film school. But but if I may interject for a second, if I may interject for a second, by the way, may I call you Sophia? 
Yes, you may. Thank you. Let's let's go back to childhood first, because I think the audience may be interested in knowing a little bit about your childhood. And, and at the age of 11, you were doing your family's taxes. Just take it from, from a young age. No, I wasn't doing my family taxes. I was doing, I was an entrepreneur at 11 years old. I was doing adults, different people who would pay me to do their taxes, because a lot of grown-ups, did not know how to do taxes, and there was no H&R block. Right. So I was basically getting paid to do people's taxes, and some of the students' homework, because some of them were lazy or whatever, didn't know it, so they paid me to do their homework. So I started as an entrepreneur very early. And so as my brother, he's the one that taught me how to do taxes, and I caught on quite uh, easily with it because I was pretty gifted in mathematics. So doing taxes was just nothing to me, and I started driving at the age of 10 years old, and then, then again, my brother taught me. My brother had a phenomenal gift because um, he was able to uh, like take out a motor or take a motor out of a car and change it from um, standard to automatic or vice versa, make it in, you know, make an automatic, whatever, or you know, standard. Uh, you know, that's the stick. Mm -hmm. And so he just had this unusual gift for mechanics and electronics because he went into later on into the Air Force and he, he was a jet mechanic. He he was the one that fixed on all the planes. So I just had this, this gift and I felt like I got the gift from my grandmother who's native, uh, native uh, American Indian. She's native in Indian, but an American Indian. Uh, Cherokee, and she's full-blooded Cherokee. So that's where I got the gift. This is where you got the gift. This is where you got the gift. And, but, but a nine-year-old, how, how do you learn? Who taught you? Did you say your brother taught you how to... How to yeah, how my brother to... taught me how to drive at 10, 10 when I was 10 years old. Uh, but I had friends already that were driving at nine years old, and their father taught him. A couple of my friends, a guy and a girl, but their father taught them how to drive, and so my brother taught me. He just took me on the highway or the freeway and told me to drive, <laughs> and that's how I learned to drive. So I didn't get a license until I was 24 years old, but I drove everywhere across the country, everywhere. Never got a ticket or anything because I was driving since 10 years old, and I was playing a a musical instrument, the piano. I just had a gift, and I never took any lessons at be before. You know, when I was playing the piano, I knew how to compose. I was composing and playing music and everything uh, way before I even took any lessons. I just had the natural multi-gifted. I, th I think it's interesting that you also mentioned mathematics as you were doing your taxes, because I, I remember clearly how math was a topic, not only for me, but for many other fellow students. That was such a uh, such an unapproachable, closed. Uh, you were made to feel ridiculed if you didn't understand math, but then later in life, I, I, I excelled. But in your case, you got it from an early age, and um, you actually skipped high school and went almost directly to college. Take it from there. Well, I want to go back. I, I scored a 98 for the IRS exam. I made, I scored a 98, which is very extremely rare. It's only 
not that many people will score that high, and they wanted me to work for them. Now, I scored a 98 for the IRS in the year in the 80s, like 1982 or 1981 or 82. So my gift in mathematics was just natural. That's that's how the reason why Nostradamus or Leonardo da Vinci, especially Leonardo da Vinci, he was a multi or polymathematician. And lots of people don't think about this, but all geniuses and all creators create from mathematics. The architect that builds the houses, that does the blueprints, because he's, he's the architect when he does the blueprint. And then the workers come in, they put up the house. And the engineer, he does the blueprint. And then, of course, you got these phenomenal cars that you're driving. And so all inventors, you know, uh, just like the guy who, created the safety pin or the you know the clothespin that used to hold up our clothes all great creators and inventors are gifted in math and the greater the math they the mathematicians they are the greater the phenomenal gifts they're going to create like tesla einstein who's you know iq is 160 so you know what i'm talking about yep. but you don't you're not thinking about it most people think that child prodigies just come out of nowhere, and they just do these incredible feats or incredible gifts. But it's not like that. You you have to already have a gift that's already there. And what happens is when you get a a mentor, or like in my case, these teachers were already phenomenal writers and they were already wealthy and and famous like Big Apple playwright Paul Cherry. I forgot to mention him. He was one of my teachers also. But he was gifted. He was a gifted playwright. And then then like uh, Leon, Leon, uh, Max Siegel was a gifted journalist. And and then you look at Emil Caputi. He was a gifted author and he was a critic and stuff. So he, you know he is multi gifted. And then Leon Roth. He was a producer already in the business. And then his son probably acquired a lot of those gifts. You know, Eric Roth, you know, probably got a lot of gifts from his father because, uh, you know, he did Airport 79. Mm. And, you know, when I came out to California, you know, so what I'm trying to tell you is that it's nothing unusual. This is not, a uh, you know, unusual for someone to have this gift. There are many um, people like myself, they... They go into college, some of them at nine years old, some of them at 10 years old. Uh, and I just happened to take the New, the New York Regents and then go into, go into college. And is, that is nothing unusual because there, if you look it up on the Internet, you probably find a lot of prodigies. But people never think about them or never talk about them, you know, so they're no, no big deal. But what is a big deal is... How gifted are you in mathematics? Because I was doing payroll uh, when I was a teenager, you know, for a construction company. But this is what I'm, what I'm saying is basically there are a lot of people like myself out there, but it's, it's, it's not talked about except for the famous ones who become super famous like Nostradamus and Leonardo da Vinci, Edgar Casey. Just, just other ones where Edward Casey was able to diagnose ma- ma- medicines and so forth to heal and help a lot of people, but he was never a doctor. He didn't go to, to any, you know, medical schools or anything like that. 
and I didn't take any training or anything to know how to create and do the things that I was doing. There was no H&R block around like they are now, you say. And then my gift is so extensive that when you read my book, The Third Eye, which became The Matrix and Terminator, I'm talking about digital downloading, virtual reality, computerized warfare with the drones, barcodes, scanners. Artificial intelligence. Yeah, 30 years before you guys, even this became popular and understood, I had wrote this in 1980. And my copyrights are 81 to 83 to prove it. And anybody can go to Washington, D.C. and pull up the original manuscript and see that the book and the manuscript have not been altered, has not been changed. It is identically the same. And so, and I got even more gifts of, of knowledge of, in, of what's coming in the future. Because in Matrix 4, NASA scientists, doctors, even Homeland Security people have already seen the new technology that's coming 30 years from now. Then I'm going to go back to the third eye. I'm, I'm talking about the Illuminati's, the trilateral commissions, the Federal Reserve, and the book. Yet 30-some years, like now, you guys are talking about these things and theories that I had already written about. And, and that's incredible, because even right, even today, you mentioned the Federal Reserve to most Americans. And yes, they may have heard the term, but they don't understand what it does, nor do they want to include that in the curriculum of any university. But I see a similarity, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you know Nikola Tesla, you know, science. And then I see you kind of being the Tesla of the science fiction world where a lot of his work or most of it was stolen and the same thing happened to you. But there's, there's, there's something that happened here between you and George Lucas and Star Wars. Take, take me from there too. Uh, only the fact that in 1979 in New York City, I was, cause I used to go to the Apollo as a kid every week. And I used to see uh, everybody, all the different singers and stars performing, entertainers, you know, just everybody every weekend I would be there. And then later on in the 70s, they, uh, they changed owners or management. And they started showing movies at the Apollo. But I saw the same habit that had going there looking, you know, at acts. I retained that same, you know, momentum of going. And there was Star Wars. It was this, this blue movie, unheard of. And it was on, you know, the billboard there, Star Wars. I went in to see it. was blown away. Saw that George Lucas uh, was the director. At the time, I didn't know he was the writer and the owner. I just saw that he was the director and that he was over at 20th Century Fox because most time many directors would be tied to different studios. And so I was at USC Film School. I had left New York uh, and entered at USC Film School because I was studying to be a, you know, a film, you know, film major, you know, to make movies because that's what I wanted to make was metaphysical movies. Something unheard of. No one was into metaphysical movies. No one had heard of them. They didn't know what they were about. And that's what I wanted to make. I, I never thought about these other movies that were on the screen, the old black and white 
other ones that they were making, except Star Wars was different. Star Wars was so phenomenal different because I was shocked to see that somebody was making a point about Satan. They were actually the dark side telling what happened to Satan in science fiction form. How Satan fell from the dark side, from the light side to the dark. How he got to where he got. So that like blew my mind. I I was into metaphysics. I was very spiritual, and I thought at that moment, well, why don't I tell the story of Christ and when he comes back, the evolutions of Christ and the technology, the machines he'd be up against when he came back in the future. Now, that's how it was born in me. Now, I've always been inspired by God because I've always was reading the Bible there and understanding the scriptures. And so when I saw Star Wars, me understanding the Bible and understanding the scripture, I saw the, 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 the biblical story of Satan, but not what was written in the Bible because there's no references as to how he failed. They just said he failed, but it doesn't tell the story. Just like mine, the second coming of Christ, and Revelations, it mentions he's coming back, but there's no story to tell what happened when he did get back. So Lucas, I didn't know Lucas was the writer, as I said, I just thought he was the director, had told the story of how Christ failed. Now, they mentioned that he failed, and, you know, and he was exiled, but it doesn't tell the story as to what happened to make him become exile and to make him have failed his mission in life. So Lucas was telling that story. And so that's how the Matrix and Terminator was born because I created the source work and what I wrote, Neo, an anagram for O-N-E-N-E-O, it's one and the same, an anagram for the one. Yeah, because he's the one. I'm talking about how the Christ child is born again through the matrix. Matrix is Latin for womb. Matrix come out of the Bible. It's mentioned five times in the Bible. Five times. Exodus 34th chapter, 19th verse, God says, he who opens the matrix is mine. That's his child. The child that comes through the matrix, Latin for womb, meaning the child that comes through the womb, born of a woman, coming through the womb, is born with a soul. And the children that are divine children have this soul, the soul of love, compassion, and understanding. Because in the future, God knew that man was going to create his own children, and they would be coming through Petri dishes, test tubes, Splicing, cloning, uh, stem cells, other other vehicles. Very interesting because I, I can see some some correlations here. In my mind, I never connected the Terminator and the Matrix. And yes, by the way, Matrix in Spanish also, in Latin, but in Spanish, Matriz. I always wonder if there was a relationship between that and a woman's womb. So I'm glad you're clarifying this. But I'm seeing now yeah. Sarah Connor... In, in, in a different view, is she supposed to be the equivalent of uh, the Virgin Mary and John Connor is Jesus? Yeah, Sarah, Sarah Connor is Neo's mother. Uh-huh. Sarah, see my, Sarah Connor is Neo's mother. So John Connor is Neo. 
That's right. John Connor grows up to be Neo one and one in the same. Interesting. JC, Jesus Christ, John Connor is equal to Neo one in the same. Wow, okay. That's right. And Sarah Connor is his mother, and he is the prophecy of the one coming back, the second coming of the one. And what happens is he grows up to become Neo. Neo is just an anagram backwards for the one. He grows up to be Neo in the Matrix because it's past, present, and future time travel. The machines come from the future to try to destroy the woman that's going to have the baby that's going to destroy their future when he grows up. And so they try to kill the mother. They try to kill the baby, the teenager, and the second Terminator. If you look at all six of the movies in chronological order, you get the epic story of Neo or the journey of the one or Neo's journey in the Matrix. Because when he gets 30 years of age in the Matrix, the rebellion or the revolution starts, and the rebels who know about him come and get him and take him to meet Morpheus, which has to do his training, and the oracle, who is the female prophet, this time, the second time, a female, not a male like John the Baptist, but a female prophet, the oracle, which will, because he comes from the female or the feminine energy, the Christ child, is the Immaculate Conception, born of the woman. And his father comes from the future and impregnates Sarah Connor, and that's how Neo is born. And without the Terminator, you can never understand the Matrix. And without the Matrix, you can never understand where the Terminator is going. Let me ask you, I know that a lot of uh, writers put themselves into the story. Did, are you the Oracle? in the Matrix out of curiosity? That's, that's right. I am the Oracle. I wrote myself into my work just like Alfred Hitchcock, just like Stephen King, and just like Spike Lee. Mm -hmm. That is nothing unheard of for writers to do that. Writers do that all the time. Of course. They of put course. themselves in their work, just like artists. You like the artists, just like the Mona Lisa with Leonardo da Vinci. He put himself in his work. Michelangelo. I can go on and on. All through time, artists have put themselves in their work. That's how you know it's their work and who they are. Nothing unheard of. This situation, it, it, let's just explore and dissect how it erupted. In, it was in the mid-80s, if I'm correct, that you saw a billboard. Was it in California that you saw a billboard where the Wachowski brothers were asking for... There was no billboard. There was no billboard because there was nobody using billboards in those sense the way. Okay. It was a magazine, a magazine ad. A magazine. People, you know, they advertise through magazines. Right. And that was where the ad came in, through the magazine. There was the ad asking for science fiction manuscript to do into a comic book. What year? What year? 1986. 1986. Summer you, you saw that and you submitted your manuscript. That's right, but before I did that, it was 1981 that I sent my first work over to 20th Century Fox looking for Lucas. Ah. That's when I first shopped my work. I was at Columbia Pictures on the same lot with Warner Brothers. 
I was at Columbia Pictures working in Vice President Dick Barris's office. So I was at USC Film School. Had already started the work, film work, in 1980, but I was in film school from 79 on up to 83. I went to school with Marcus Allen, Ronnie Lott, all these pro former football players, Dennis Johnson, August Curley, James Sinclair, the Moore brothers. They were my, some of my classmates at USC Film School. Okay. So I was writing a book. I was creating work for the movies. And so when I sent my work in 1981 to 20th Century Fox, a vice president, Susan Nasbeck, got hold of it. She loved what she was saying. She called me and asked me, was there any more written on it? I sent out a six-page movie treatment, which is phenomenal. It's just like a form of script. And she took it to Paramount, to David Matten, and Valerie Red and Gail Ann Hurd. And then this is where Cameron came in. Cameron, Gail Ann Hurd knew Cameron. Cameron had just made a flop B-movie called Piranhas over in Italy. And the Italians were pissed off at him. And then he started working for Roger Corman, he and Gail Ann Hurd. And Roger Corman is the one that taught him how to do teleplay. Roger Corman is the one that had the... Uh, the book out, how I made a hundred films and never lost a dime. So he's the one that taught Cameron teleplay. If you look at the first Terminator, that's Roger Corman. That the old 50 look and a couple of teleplays from Harlan Ellison. Mm -hmm. Harlan Ellison did not write Terminator. He doesn't know anything about a microchip cyborg coming from the future. Clones. With a human brain and microchip implants, naked without shame. No old 50 movies, whether it's Ray Bradbury, Rod Sterling, Wes Craven, any of them, Gene Roddenberry, none of them had ever seen a naked cyborg microchips. And besides, the way it, everything in the movie industry back then, nobody would allow a naked anything on the screen running naked. <laughs> right. I'm just cracking up laughing because it's so funny to me. Sure, sure. And, and and then what happened when you submitted? Fast forward to to '86 when you submitted your. Oh, sure. I want to say something. I want to say something to people to sure. clarify some things. H.G. Uh, Wells. Everybody in the '50s that I just named all those old science fiction writers, yeah. they were all working from the premises of H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells was born in the Iron Age, and he saw metal robots. And anybody that was not a creative genius, in, I mean, in the sense of the term of a seer, a, a gifted seer, I'm not taking away from anybody because everybody has their own special gifts and uniqueness. But I'm talking about those who have the gift of sight that have come out with the metal robots with H.G. Wells. And everybody was working from his premises until my was born in the digital age. So my future was microchips. And so when you see nuclear war, naked without shame, I'll be back. A naked microchip cyborg comes for me. So the, the, the phrase, I'll be back, that's, that's, that's from you. That's right. He comes back, we'll be back. He comes back as three different cyborgs. Every movie, I'll be back. 
That comes from me. It's not, it's not written in any script. Cameron, when you see Cameron's work, it's just a derivative of my six-page treatment. Everything is just a derivative. My work was adapted to the screen, just, just like H.G. Wells' book was adapted and he's dead, just like J.R. Tolkien's work, Lost of the Rings, he's dead. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you the ones that are not dead and they didn't adapt their books to the screen. Uh, the Pelican Brief, John Grisham, he didn't write the screenplay. His work was adapted to the screen. Uh, the Firm, adapted to the screen by John Grisham. Alan Moore's work, V for Vendetta, adapted to the screen by the Wachowskis or whoever. But Alan Moore didn't write the screenplay, and he was so pissed about his work that he didn't want to put his name by his own work. You actually didn't watch The Terminator, so you didn't know. That's why I Terminated, because I, it's my work. A lot of people were shocked. I, I didn't even know that The Terminator, I'd never even seen The Terminator. I was pregnant at the time with a baby, my son. So I wasn't going to movies. I wasn't into things. I was into taking care of my baby. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about The Terminator. However, I was at the movie in March the 31st, 1999, the last national release of The Matrix. And I saw my work on the screen, and I said, I wrote that. Now, wait. T t I, want you to, I want you to tell me, tell me, paint a picture for us exactly what happened that day when you went to the movie theaters, not knowing what you were going to find out a few minutes later. I had seen the trailers of The Matrix on the movie. I saw the movie, analyzed it with... Um, Billy Crystal and Robert De Niro. And I told my friend that I want to go see that. And he said, fine, I'll take you to see it. Now, I didn't recognize my work from the trailers because it was very brief. Yeah. But when I got to the movie theater and we got, we sat in, I kept seeing scene after scene, and I said, I wrote it. That's what I said. I wrote that. And that's what I continue to say. And when I called up, which was the next day, it was April the 1st, and it wasn't April Fool's Day, I called up the legal department at Warner Brothers, and I told them I wrote that, and they already knew that. They already knew who I was and everything about me. Okay, wait a how second. Did how, how, how did they know? How did they know? Yes. I was getting ready to tell you that, because I already knew what question you were asking. <laughs> Good. How did they know that? That's what I'm saying. How did they know that? Because I put a put the copyrights on top of my work, the, the cover sheet, cover page of the work had my copyright numbers and everything. So not only did they know my name and know everything about me, because I had already put, you know, you know, the warning you put that the work is copyrighted and here are the copyright numbers. Yeah. I put the numbers there. So anybody could go and pull it up and look at it right there on the spot or go to Washington, D.C. and pull it up. And know who I am, know my address, know my phone number. So they knew it was me. And they tried to sell out with me. I keep telling people, they offered me money right off the bat. They offered to settle with me right away. They were worried and scared because it was stolen. It was criminal copyright infringement. It was no copying. Copying is like this. I just created the DeLorean car and I showed it to you, Mayo. And then you went and made a copy of it and went to the media and told them you you created the DeLorean. Mm -hmm. No, they sold the DeLorean. 
and said that they created it. They stole it. But I got the VIN number. The VIN number, it matches up with the title. I got the title. The title and the VIN number matches. So, hey, that's the copyrights. The copyrights matches the VIN number. So you have to bring the car back. It's mine. Stolen car. So when the FBI investigated, they say, hey, it's stolen. That car belongs to Sophia Stewart. Now, this is 13 years after 1986 when you submitted your manuscript. Did they send it back to you? Did you have any communication with them in 1986? No, 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 no. I still got the ad. They thought I didn't have the ad. I never revealed, only to the FBI, and just recently to a couple of courts, the ad. That's what they were worried about. That's what I got all phone calls about over and over. Do you have the ad? The ad is what brings it all together. Do you right. see what I'm talking about? The ad sure. proves that I told the truth. So I kept the ad a secret, which was really great, because that's what they were worried about. And the media asked their attorneys, did Sophia Stewart write The Matrix? Well, he said she can't prove it because she doesn't have the ad. Now, that was the statement he made, and I got the the, the magazines and the newspapers to prove it. That was funny because they were asking, did she write it? Yes or no? And he said, I couldn't prove it. <laughs> now, that's funny. Now, I understand the, the ad is relevant, but if you had it copyrighted, in, but if he had it copyrighted in 1981, isn't that proof enough? It is the proof. And besides the FBI doing the... Um, uh, going in and doing the investigations and everything. And they're in the book. And by the way, everybody buy the book. The validation that I wrote The Matrix and Terminator is in the book. The FBI has validated the theft with their documented evidence is right there. The copyrights are there. Um, it, it proves that I wrote The Matrix and Terminator. And this is going to blow everybody's mind. The people who stole the defendant never even applied for the trademarks to Matrix 1 and 2. And I'm going to teach you a little tra uh, trademark law. The only way you can get a trademark is you have to have the copyrights, and you have to have had the work in commerce, meaning that the work has have to, the mark has to be sold or you know have been sold. The mark is the Terminator in the Matrix. And they never applied for it. They did try to apply for Matrix 2 and 3 and Terminator 2 and 3, but they got rejected because they didn't have a mark in commerce and they didn't have any copyrights. And then they wouldn't swear under oath under the codes. Because the government do allow you to swear under oath under the codes, but the government cautions you that if you're lying, your attorney that applied for the trademarks and you, the client, both will be going to jail. If it comes up, you have no copyrights. So they did get a couple of marks, maybe about five marks. And um, one was for a video game, Enter the Matrix. And uh, five of them, four or five, was for Terminator for merchandising. Just little variances of merchandising. But the trademark lawyers told me I can cancel them anytime I want under the Boards of Appeal because there were people that tried to always capitalize off of Matrix and Terminator 
there were some people before them that had some minor registrations and merchandising and stuff, but they got them canceled out. It's, it's easy, relatively easy to cancel somebody out on some minor stuff. The major stuff is getting the trademarks for the Matrix and Terminator movies. Now, that's astronomical. And how they got the little marks that they did get, they drew some little cartoons or words, and the government, the trademark office kept telling them, you can't get any registrations unless you really have a mark in commerce. And th these are not real marks. They didn't want to put the mark because if they used the mark, the matrix, and the mark, the Terminator, it would trace it back to the VIN number, which is the is my copyrights, and then they would be going to jail. So that's why they tried to use the derivatives. Terminator 2 and 3 and 4, all those are derivatives. Matrix 2 and 3, derivatives, because anything that's derived from original source work or nothing but de derivatives or copy or copies of the work. In, in order for you to get authorship, you would have to be to be, be there from the beginning. You would have to have helped create some of the characters from the beginning, some of the concepts, some of the theme, some of the plots. But if you didn't create none of the theme, none of the plots, none of the characters, none of the concepts, then you are not a author. And screenwriters are not authors. A screenplay or a script is nothing but camera directions for the cameramen and the you know the cameras and for the director to direct the vision and that's what a screenplay is and that's why all books plays short stories uh treatments which is a form of script has to be adapted into a screenplay or shooting script so the cameraman can follow the directions and the director can create his vision of the work. I have to educate people because they don't know this. Let me ask you, because I remember watching the, 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 first, the first Matrix, but when I watched the sequels, I, I just found myself very disconnected, almost as if there were different, unrelated movies in many ways. Is this why? This is why. This is why, because... When they were adapting the work, you got to realize my work was futuristic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it hadn't even happened yet. A lot of stuff, when you go back in my third eye book and you start reading, because there was many fans around the world. It's been selling since 05. And many fans were like, oh, my God, you still have tons of movies in here. Still have tons of special effects and graphics. Because, see, the special effects and graphics in Matrix and Terminator come from me. They didn't come from Stan Winston. When the Terminator is coming from the burning flame, that comes from me. And he time traveled and all of the stuff in the Matrix. When you see the virtual reality and different symbolisms and stuff that they're doing, except for bullet time, that other stuff, all the other stuff comes from me. That's right. The splitting where Neo jumps inside of Agent Smith's body and blows him up. That's when matter right. goes into antimatter, which is space. You know, and it blows him up. But if you go through Neo's body, the opposite direction, you walk through his body, you're healed, the resurrection. And when Neo 
other one is going through the pod. It's just like the baptismal. He's cleansed of all his human side, dies. His spiritual side is born, and the energy comes inside of him. Now he's able to dodge bullets. He's able to cross dimensions. He's able to bend time and step into the void. He's able to fly like Superman, but he's not Superman. But he's, he's able to defy gravity and all because there are no limitations on him. And none of this was explained because they were not the writers. They didn't even know. That's why a lot of stuff got left out because they didn't even know what, what the hell I had written, which you can only find out and consult with the true author because they're doing work that was 30 years before its time. 33 years before its time. Can you imagine that? And now they're having a hard time following Matrix 4. Because in Matrix 4, Neo and Trinity does not die. I wrote The Evolutions of Consciousness, The Second Coming of Christ, Man versus the Machines. So in other words, if Christ comes back, he's going to go through evolution, he's going to ascend into his 4D body, and he's going to be able to defeat the machines upon the earth, which are going to be so man-like that it's scary because they're microchips, they're hologram clones are coming in the future, which a lot of people have just seen the hologram renditions of Tupac on the stage. That's right. But mine's even greater. I was, I'd already talked about this technology and Matrix 4 in 2000, the year 2000, in, in interviews way before that even came up on the stage. Now, you mentioned the Tupac, uh, Tupac uh, 3D hologram the other day. And the first thought that, I, that yeah, came it to it mind... Wasn't even a three, it wasn't even a 3D, it was only 2D. Okay, 2D. Mine is more is four-dimensional, 4D already, the ones I'm talking about. They're going to be able to do even more than what he's doing 2D on the stage. But for those who were watching on TV, it seemed real. And my question is, I thought this was footage taken from years before... Tupac uh, died, but this is something that was recreated now. That's right. Recreated now. And mine is even greater. I was talking about Matrix 4, that uh, Neo and Trinity didn't die. They wake up from a bad dream because what happens in Matrix 4, it eclipses Matrix 1, but the story actually continues because I made 2 and 3 a bad dream because I wrote The Evolutions of Consciousness. And what happens is Neo and Trinity wake up on the 11-11 prom prompts. On their virtual clock wakes them up. Interesting. They shared a dream together. They shared two and three, made it in quick successions, like a bad dream. They wake up and they're like wondering, why did they have the same dream? Because they're soulmates. And then the story began, began again. And then the audience is going to be completely crazy at this point. Can you imagine to know that around the globe, because Matrix and Terminators globally, Matrix is so huge, it has a religion over in Europe. Is that right? And it, that's right. It has a religion. Over 60,000 people following it as a religion, Matrix. Some of the Illuminati's called me from over in Europe and told me, and they wanted to read Matrix 4. You have no idea how phenomenally impact Matrix 4. Like I told people, NASA scientists have read it. Some doctors have read it. Homeland Security people have read it because there are technology in there that they can use right now. 
that is blowing their mind that's coming for the future, especially Homeland Security. In the craft that I created, some of the Homeland Security people were blown away. They thought I had high security clearance. Did you get a visit from any of the uh, AAA letter? No, because they already know about me. you got to realize they've been knowing about me before you guys. Plus, the FBI did my case. So Homeland Security, the president, everybody knows uh, who I am and about me. Because you, you, you guys don't understand. There's no way you can, the Wachowskis and James Kramer can fake this stuff. There's no way they can fake they wrote The Matrix and Terminator. This is stuff that is so incredible and so high-tech, real technology that's before its time. So these people are telling, the Wachowskis and James Cameron is telling you guys that they wrote a simple story. Cameron said he had a dream, he was sick, and he had a dream that the Terminator was coming out of the flames. And the Wachowskis are telling you, they, how did you write The Matrix? Oh, we watched a bunch of Kung Fu movies. Uh-huh, right. You're not going to write The Matrix from watching a bunch of Kung Fu movies, and you're definitely not going to write The Terminator from a dream. That's not going to happen. We're talking about real technology that's 30 or 40 years ahead. You would have to be a visionary, seer, gifted, and you would have to explain the technology to the NASA scientists, doctors, and Homeland Security people. Well, that's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking, Sophia. Have you gotten any, any conversations between you and NASA or Homeland Security where they're saying, how do you know this? No, no, they already know about, no, listen, they already know about people like me. There are tons of people like me. I'm not talking about it's a million of them, because I don't know, but there are tons of people that's gifted like myself, and their interest, Homeland Security is interested in some of the technology the government won't, might want to contract some of the inventions because I did inventions like Tesla. I did inventions like Leonardo da Vinci. If you would compare me, just like what you did, you would compare me with Tesla and Leonardo da Vinci. That would be correct. Because in my book, I've written graphics the same way as Leonardo da Vinci. But I've created technology the same way that Tesla created technology. And they're stealing it. And I understand why they're stealing it. It's so incredible, so phenomenal, that it's amazing. And even if they steal a little piece of it, because they don't understand all of it, but if they steal a little piece of it, it's going to make you filthy rich. When you say, I made the technology, the question is, is it functional? Yes, it is functional. It's very functional. That's what I'm trying to tell you, because everything that I created even 33 years ago, or 37 years ago, was functional then, but no one could understand it because a lot of things that events had not even occurred in the world yet. Technology hadn't even been invented yet to catch up and to utilize it. You got to realize the reason why the dip in Terminator from '84 to 1999 was because they 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 didn't have the technology, and why the dip of uh, from '84 to 2000 and something. For the next Terminator was 12 years, I think. One of them was 12 years in between, because they couldn't. They didn't even have the technology to uh, duplicate what was what I was saying in my work in the book. That's why they had to wait so long. The technology couldn't even. They, there are people who have read my Matrix Four script 
and they don't even understand the technology because there's nothing, there's no reference points. I'm talking about hologram clones. I'm talking about virtual reality in a way that has never been expressed. Can I, can I say something here and you tell me if I need to edit it out? But I'm, I'm privileged. I haven't read it completely, but I, of course I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. But I'm privileged that I have it. And I did read a few pages and I have to tell you, this is some of the most, uh, one of the some of the best science fiction, and, and it sounds so realistic that I haven't heard this anywhere else. And you're absolutely right. And what I'm writing about is real because I'm writing end time revelations. I'm writing prophecy, and so what, but I have the gift to take those codes in Revelations and decode the encryptions of Revelations and then with the gift to create a story that makes it feasible for people to see it. But on a level where somebody with an eighth grade education or children can understand it, but on a higher level of mathematics where scientists and doctors and Homeland Security people, contractors, can understand it. That is how the work is so phenomenal and why it touches everybody. The universal language of the work that I do is mathematics. Mathematics, yes. It's mathematics. It's around the entire globe, and it's not in any all different people languages. It's in the universal language of mathematics, because everybody around the globe understands mathematics. So the work is done in mathematics. It's hieroglyphic. It's 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 numbered in times like Morse codes and geometry was so graphically that you could see it when you read the script. It's just like seeing the movie on the screen while you're reading the script. I've had people that say the first 25 pages are so brilliant and it will make anywhere from four to seven billion dollars when it hit the screen. It's so incredible that as soon as it's announced, the first announcement that Matrix is coming, whatever studio gets it, I'm telling you, the phone will start ringing off the hook. In fact, they would have to add new call centers. There will not even be a ticket. If I did a virtual theater and I sold tickets, the investors would be paid off right away, immediately. It would be astronomical because people have been waiting for years. And I'm talking about the entire globe. There are Chinese, Koreans, uh, Germans, Russians. Everybody wants to see the Matrix. Europeans. They all, the Matrix is the number one in Terminator, number one favorite movies around the entire globe. And, you know, if you, if you look at the Matrix in 99 and, and Terminator, in a way, a lot of what we see, perhaps not in the, in the technology aspect as of yet, but we're approaching that. And my question to you is, you obviously, and I hate to make the parallel between David and Goliath, but you actually went to fight against Hollywood. Well, I'm not fighting. I'm not fighting against Hollywood. That is a misconception, a misnomer. What I'm fighting against is progress. People who are trying to stop the progress. And those people are the same people that tried to keep the car from coming into, and they, they were trying to keep the horse, the horse. going yeah. on, and they were scared of the cars. There were people fighting that progress. It's not Hollywood. 
is those people who want to control progress. And God says that nothing can remain the same, that everything must change. We have to go into the future. I'm the one that was given that message and the gift to create that. There, look, they got the three stooges on the screen coming up. The Smurfs, the uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, they've put everything that they've had in there and anywhere from ages ago. And if they owned the Matrix and they and the Terminator and they knew where it was really going to go, they would have it already on the screen if it belonged to them. But the FBI have told them they have to stop. Those are federally protected copyrights. Every time you release an item from that copyright is a felony. That was my next question, Sophia, that you, you provided to me the actual financial figures for every movie, DVDs, you name it, merchandising, how many billions of dollars. And the first question that came to mind, why so many years in between the movies and why not another one? And is this why? This is why. Because they don't even know where to go with the Matrix. You got to realize they're not the creator. They're not the inventor. And they are not the seer. So they don't even know where the Matrix is going. They have to shut down... Two and three, had to, they had to shut that down because everybody was going to find that they were a liar. It was so bad, they barely escaped. They barely, So they knew that if they tried to do something without me, oh, it was going to be terrible, as you can see with Terminator 4. That was so bad that people, the theaters were empty, and people were walking out in disgust and saying very nasty things. And they knew one thing. James Cameron didn't write the Terminator. Nobody would let that gift go. You see, with Lucas, is nobody. Lucas is not letting that go or putting it into hands. You don't like you have a baby and then just give your baby over to anybody. Not a baby like that. It's incredible that he doesn't want to have anything to do with the Terminator. If you created the Terminator, and it's one of the most phenomenal concept of all time original concept that is mind boggling no creator would say I don't want to have nothing to do with that that's just like creating the Taj Mahal and saying you don't want to have nothing to do with it <laughs> right yeah it's phenomenal that everybody is looking that standing the test of time and you say I don't want to have nothing to do with that that's right I, I, anytime something is negative and bad I can see people not wanting to have anything to do with it if something was a train wreck, you wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. But something phenomenal, you you don't say, I don't have nothing to do with that. I've moved on, and you need to move on and stop asking me about it. And there are no Wachowskis on any talk shows and Hollywood on the media, and there are no Wachowskis on any talk shows talking about Matrix. That's true. Or how they in fact, they make a gag order now. They're gags from even speaking about it because they're going to send a lot of people to jail if they open up their mouths. When you argued your case in court, what was the, the, the outcome, or, or is it still pending? They, they never, the Wachowskis lost the court case right off the bat. That's what I keep trying to tell people, and I have the proof. The Wachowskis were scared of being charged with fraud, so they never answered the complaint. My attorneys never defaulted them. They were supposed to put a judicial notice in and defaulted them. 
In fact, Lawrence Wachowski, which is Lena Wachowski, who's a woman now, who they are brothers and sisters now, excuse me, they're not Wachowski brothers, but Wachowski's brother and sister. One of the brothers changed uh, sex? It's a girl now. I didn't know that. That's right. One of the girl now, yes. Uh, they're no longer Andy and Larry Wachowski. They're a Andy and Lana Wachowski. They're brothers okay. and sisters now. Okay. The one named Lawrence is now Lena, and he was getting a divorce from his uh, wife at that period in the state court, and the judge couldn't divide up the matrix without knowing who owns it, and he asked for the title, the copyrights. And they didn't want to tell the judge that they, in 94 they put in a napkin with the title Matrix on it, and you can't own a title, that they didn't have any copyrights, that they put fraud against the government by simply putting a napkin in there, and that they couldn't prove they wrote the Matrix. And Larry's wife, Thea Bloom, told the judge that they never wrote Matrix 1. And and they put in two declarations. The first declaration said, and I have the proof, I got the declaration, that they created the matrix in 93. They told the state judge, and they turned around and said that was a lie. They created it before 93, but they needed to go to uh, Chicago to find some proof. They didn't tell the judge that they had a 94 napkin with matrix on it, you know, and you can't copyright a title. Well, how, how relevant is it? How relevant is it a napkin to copyright to, for intellectual property like this? You can't copyright. Uh, there is no copyrights. Right. The script, the script to Matrix One came after the movie. The Matrix was created from five to six hundred storyboard pictures, like a comic book, mm -hmm. and then later on they added dialogue to it. That's how it was created. They adapted my work into pictures. A pictures are worth a thousand words. So that's how Matrix was created. It was never written. It was created like a comic book, and that's how they shot it. The, the director started a storyboard. Let me, let me ask you, and I don't mean to say this to undermine your work, but I'm just wondering, how many other people like you? Because we think of Hollywood. We think of, of the producers, but we're not thinking about the creative minds sometimes who really create the work. How many people out there are in the same shoes as you are? There's lots of people out there. In fact, you guys are not even hearing about it because the judges and the courts are corrupted. They won't even, they're violating these people's Seventh Amendment rights by not allowing them to even go to trial. They're just sitting up there doing summary judgments on people, shutting them down. In my case, they, do you know how they shut my case down? On a default omissions. My lawyers never addressed the omissions, and if you don't address the omissions, they're deemed as if I said that against myself and that they didn't put in any discovery and if you in causes of actions they eliminate the cause of actions out of people's but that's the only way you can get relief and the other people their own producers actors and all these other people they're simply paying them with their own money because they made a lot of money off these people's work pay them with a little bit of money settle out and gag them there are more gags in Hollywood than dead bodies in the cemetery. <laughs> and this is the reason why you're seeing the Three Stooges on the screen. And you're seeing the chipmunks. <laughs> you're seeing the Smurfs. Because you have to get regurgitation because yes. the people were the ones who brought in the new original creative ideas. And Hollywood used to buy it. 
And that's why when you go back to the old black and white, then you go back to some of the old color films, they were the best films in the world because they were buying it from the people. Somebody got clever and said, well, why do we need to buy the cow when we can, you know, we can just steal it and then and, and pay up with their own money and then bribe the judges and fix the courts and pay off some of the senators and the politicians and keep business going as usual. They don't even understand. Let me tell you something. This is really important for everybody to hear. They don't understand. When you start stealing, you atrophy your own self in history. You actually erase yourself out of history. You, you actually end up in the thrift stores. The same way IBM and Xerox didn't understand what a mouse was. Right. That is why Microsoft and Apple became them. And they were atrophied out of the whole pictures. People don't understand that stealing is not clever. It's not good because everything has to change. That's what progress is, is change. That's what progress is about, giving other people chances with new ideas, original concepts. We're retarded. That's right, retarded and, and pushed back because people have kept other people out of business. They've kept monopolies. The reason why you have free enterprises and greater inventions is because the government had the balls to break up the monopoly on Standard Oil with the Rockefellers. And now you get choices and greater uh, products and everything. And then the government had the balls to break up Marbell. And now we got all kinds of, like, AT&T, wireless and everything. And the government had the balls to break up Microsoft so you can get other products and services. The only place that has not been touched is Hollywood. Hollywood. Let me, let, me, let me explain something before you ask your question, and maybe I might answer it. Hollywood does nothing but propaganda, movies, and illusions, probably for the government. Who knows why they get a free pass and they don't get to go to jail. But that's what it sounds like to me. But this is killing the industry. The theaters are empty. Hollywood's got the worst drought it ever had in history, film history. And they don't even know what's going on. Why are we not making any money? You're not making any money because you're not progressing. You got the monopoly. Open up that monopoly and let in new ideas, new original stuff, and you will see theaters fill back up again, and we don't care if it's digital downloading with Netflix and Blockbusters and Redbox and all of this other stuff that's going on. People want to go in and watch a big 65- or 70-foot screen because they want to break away and go out and be entertained. But they're not going to pay for some garbage when they can see something old and good on Netflix. Well, let me ask you, regarding the creative minds, which I think more and more we see a lack of creative minds, especially on TV. Is this why we see so many reality TV shows where (laughs) the characters make fools out of themselves and that entertains the public? And as long as Hollywood doesn't have to get involved with creative minds, they pay less they still make money. Is this what's happening? Is that the trend? That, that's exactly what happened. Because if you're paying attention to Kim Kardashian, you won't be looking at your own life and you won't be seeing what you're missing in the movie theaters. <laughs> that's right. It's a distraction. 
And look at TV. TV is so horrible because it's the same garbage killing, just killing, senseless killing, pointless killing, but no no storyline, no meaning, nothing for just depressing. It's, it's more depressing than the news. Yeah. The news has even got more of a variety than the television shows. And reality is just garbage. I'm sorry, but that's all it is. Garbage and distractions. And people have shifted themselves and put themselves to that level now. That if you've got to pay attention to somebody else's life that's not even going great, then what is going on with your own life? A few months ago, I received uh, a few emails from somebody who's related to the writers of the TV series French, which, by the way, it's a great series. But they wrote to me asking if they could use some of the ideas or if I could submit some of the, the stories of the things that are being shared on this show because we deal with so many stories. But that, that, that tells you that they're going everywhere to try to bring some creativity into their, their shows. But we have to take our one and only intermission. Sophia, when we come back, I would like you to tell us more of, of your vision of the future. Because me, after reading just a few pages of, of Matrix 4, I can see how you're somehow tapping into something that tells you how our future is going to look like. Something from, from the Matrix and... What did you say? You could see something from the Matrix and what? No, I'm just saying that after reading a few pages of Matrix 4... On segment two, when we come back from our break, I want you to tell us more of your vision of the future, because you and I discussed this a few weeks ago, and I would like you to tell us more about what you see. But tell us, how can, pe how can people buy the, the third eye and get in touch with your work? Yes, they can go to my website, truthaboutmatrix.com, and buy the, uh, the third eye book, which became The Matrix and Terminator. That's truthaboutmatrix.com. You can even Google my name, Sophia Stewart, and Truth About Matrix. Will come up. And I have Thank to tell you. you, folks, you're welcome. I, I have to tell you, I'm fascinated here. I'm honored to have Sophia Stewart with me. And when we come back, we're going to be opening a, a can of worms. I don't know where this is going to take us, but I guarantee you that it might be a little bit more than segment two. So don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas. I'm here with Sophia Stewart, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. We will continue with segment two with our special guest in the Veritas member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with segment two in the member section. Enjoy.
This is the Quran Sitching, and you are listening to a wonderful radio interview conducted by Mel. Mm-hmm. 